some, yeah. I for, yeah, could if you could, yeah. <laughs> Water's good. Is it down there? Yeah, it's right beneath my chair by the by the wall by the um That was way different. Huh? Yeah. Mm hmm Thanks. Hey, how are you all doing? Mm, you sat down too quickly. I'm still sucking on a lozenge. So if you could just kind of do something for a couple minutes. <laughs> Let me at least chew it. Can you hear that? What's he going to do next? <laughs> yeah, like I got shoes today. So for those of you who don't like Jesus, you're good today, right? All right. Okay, good. Mm, well. What is with you guys in the weather up here? Like last week is baking, and today it's like, are you just trying to confuse me? It's like off of the new guy or something. Okay, I thought it was summer, and I got up this morning, it's chilly. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for what you're doing here at Rocky Peak, and we're all so excited to be a part of it. And just want to, we, we really do want to be a part of it, Lord. We don't want to miss a thing. We don't want to miss a beat. We don't want to miss kind of one, one ounce of what you're doing. And so we come today and we ask you to open our hearts to what your spirit wants to say to us. And we, we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, today we're continuing the series that we've been in now for several weeks. And every week, what I'd like to do is just step back for a couple minutes for those of you who are visiting for the first time. Of course, I never know who you are, so I look all over just to get you covered. But anyway... We're doing this series called 11 Laws to Live By. And what it has to do with is that, you know, in, the, um, uh, in, in nature, we have what we call laws of nature. And laws of nature, just they don't really, you don't get in trouble like if you break them, so to speak. You know, like, while well, you broke the law of gravity, go to jail. It's not that sort of thing. Um, it, it's just more that they describe this is how life works. You know, so this is how the tides work. This is how we, the, the rotation on the sun works. This is how, you know, the, the law of motion works, whatever. So they just describe how life works. Well, in the, um, in the spiritual realm, there are laws too. And they just describe how life works in our relationship with God and how our, our life works in relationship with one another. And so as we're starting this journey as a congregation together in this whole new era that we're starting, um, I thought it'd be helpful to just talk about 11 of the most important things that God's ever taught me about spiritual life. And I'm calling them laws, laws of the spiritual life. Every week we're taking one and just unpacking it. So today we're, we're at law number six, it's the law of relationship. Now if you haven't done so already, inside of your bulletin is a white sheet called the message note sheet. And I encourage you to take that out so you can follow along. Um, you, get, you do get extra points for filling it out. But if you, if you don't fill out notes, that's okay, still pull it out because you'll be able to follow along much, much better. And there's some verses and things I'll be quoting off of there and so on. Now, uh, the law goes to like this. Law number six goes like this. Spirituality is a team sport. So why don't you write that down? Spirituality is a team sport. Then we'll talk about that. What do I mean? Spirituality is kind of a long word. Sorry about that. Some of you are looking three times at PowerPoint. How do you spell that? Okay. I'll try to keep it to one syllable from now on. Um, the spirituality is a team sport. So by spirituality, all I mean is the process by which we become spiritual men and women. 
Um, the Bible says that we are born again by God's spirit. And that starts this process of becoming like Jesus. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, he said, I couldn't write to you as spiritual men or spiritual men and women yet because you are, you're really immature. You need to grow up and become spiritual men and women. And so we're in this process of becoming like Jesus, and that's all I mean by spirituality. And then the word a team sport, um, I think most of you know the difference. You know, we have team sports, we have individual sports. Like, for example, um, if we said, like, if I say golf, is that a team sport or an individual sport? Yeah, individual, okay, unless you're in the Ryder Cup or something like that. Um, let's say basketball, team sport or individual sport? Team, okay, you're, you're very good, very quick on the uptake. All right, <laughs> so I'm going to stop right there because I want to make sure we got it all right. We're one for one. <laughs> let's just stop. Um, so, so spirituality is a team sport. In other words, this, pa- this process of becoming like Jesus, the whole point is it's not something we do on our own. It's not like going to the gym and working out. You know how it is, you, you, you know, in January, you know how it is when you start working out. Um, and so, you know, you pay money um, so that you have this privilege and then you go for one month and you feel so much better for that one month, right? And, and then afterwards, you continue paying your fees in the hopes that someday you go back. And, and it's worth it, it's worth 50 bucks a month just to have hope in your life. So you don't, you don't really cancel it, um, it, it just, it's just, it's, it's worth it. It's like 50, you know, it's, it's cheaper than therapy. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so, well, when you join a health club, you can pretty much go when you want. You just go when you want, you don't go when you want, and it's just something you do, maybe you have a trainer, maybe you don't, but it's just, it's sort of your thing. You, you get better or worse and it's up to you. Well, that's not how it is becoming a Christian. When you become a Christian, it's not just an individual decision you make. It's more like joining a team. So it's like if you decide you want to do weightlifting, you can do that on your own. If you want to play baseball, you can't just go out by yourself. You, know, you have to be part of the team. And the Bible says that when you become a Christian, it's, it's more like joining a team than an individual sport. So for example, if you want to grow, and here's what I want you to catch. This is a... What I'm about to say now is the most important thing I'm gonna say all day, okay? This is the, the heart and soul of this law. The message of the New Testament is that you cannot become like Jesus by yourself, okay? That's it. The heart of this law is that if you want to become like Jesus, process of becoming a spiritual man, a spiritual woman, you, you just can't do it by yourself, just you and the Lord. In fact, in the New Testament, there's several images that are given to us to help us understand this process of becoming like Jesus, what it means to be a Christian. And they're, they're communal pictures. For example, um, we're told that we are the family of God. Well, like one person's not a family, right? It's like, he, he, like I'm my family. And it's like, no, no, you have to have at least two. We're told that we're the body of Christ. Last time I, I checked, just because you have a toe doesn't mean you have a body, right? You have to have more than a toe, more than an arm. You need a bunch of of parts to make a body. Um, We're told that we're the temple of God. Well, the temple of God is, we're made up of individual stones, the Bible says. So you see the the idea here? Is that when the Bible wants us to understand that when we became a Christian, it wasn't just an individual decision. It it wasn't just like joining a health club. It was more like being born into a family. And, And we're in relationship. And the whole point of that is that we can't grow up and become like our big brother on our own. We, we have to be in relationship. Now, uh, there in your note sheet is a great verse from Ecclesiastes. And Solomon talks about this. He talks about how we are designed to live in community. 
He says two are better than one because they have good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. What's his point? Two are better than one. We're not designed to do life alone. If you're doing life alone, there's gonna be times when you fall and there's no one to help you up. If you're doing life on your own, you'll not be as productive in your work. If you're doing life on your own, no one's covering your back. You're in danger, you see? That we are not designed to do life on our own. So today what I wanna do is I wanna roll up our sleeves and I wanna talk about five kinds of people that we need in our life to become like Jesus. And there you know, you'll see we, got, we have five of them. Now, of course, there's more than five. But these are five, I think, of the most important. And let me say this, that one person can fulfill several roles in your life at certain times. For example, um, you know, maybe you're married to someone who's around encouragement to you. And so they might fulfill two or three different roles at times. And, and, and you, you might have a pastor friend or you might have a, a life group leader friend. Or there may be some other mentors in your life that fulfill not just one role but two or three roles. But the point is, is we need all five of these roles operational in our life to grow up and become like him. So let's talk about it. Number one. The first kind of person that we need in our life is what I'm calling a vision caster. We need vision casters, maybe plural is a better way to put it. In other words, there's times in our life where God wants to raise us to a new level and the way he does it is he brings people into our life who see what we could become. They, they see farther than we see. They look at our lives and they see who we were designed to be long before we see it. They see our potential. And they call out that potential. I don't know how many people I've worked with in ministry over the years or just having the, the privilege of working with them and coming along and seeing things in them and saying, you know what, I see this in you. And they're, really, I don't see myself that way. Yeah, I see this in you. And you're able to cast vision for them, what life would be like if. And then you just watch them unfold like a flower as you begin to plant that vision in their life and they begin to rise to that vision. A great, great example of this in the Bible is Jesus. Jesus was a great vision caster. And one of my favorite stories is the first time he met Peter, the apostle Peter. Of course, when the first time he met him, he, his name wasn't Peter then. You know, we know him as Peter, but he went by the name Simon then. And so uh, the way the story goes is that Andrew was Simon's brother. Andrew finds Jesus. He's convinced he's the Messiah. He comes to Peter and says, hey, I think we found the Messiah. Now, this is big time. This does not happen like every day. You know, they, they've been looking for this for hundreds of years thousands of years, looking for the Messiah. And so your brother comes to you and says, hey, I, I think I saw the Messiah, he's down by 7-Eleven. You're like, what? You know, it's like, just today? I mean, on this day, this is it? I mean, and so you can, you know, Peter was a little skeptical. And so he says, come on, you gotta come see this guy. And so he comes up, they introduce him to Jesus, and the first time Jesus sees him, he changes his name. Now, that strike you as a little weird? <laughs> It's like, hi, Mike. No, you're not. I'm going to call you John. <laughs> well, that's fine, but everyone else around here calls me Mike. Um, so let's see what happens. There in your note sheet from John 142, from the message translation, Andrew, that's Simon's brother, Andrew immediately led him, that's Peter, Simon, to Jesus. And Jesus took one look up and he said, hey, you're John's son, Simon. Well, from now on, your name is Cephas or Peter, which means rock. Now, how cool is that? Yeah, 
he, he meets him and he says, hey man, I, good to meet you. I don't really like your name, but we can change that right here and now. In fact, I, I'm going to call you Cephas, uh, you know, Peter. Uh, stands for rock, means rock. Okay? And can you imagine how cool that would have been if you're Peter? You're meeting the guy that might be the Messiah, and he's given you a new nickname. And it's, the name is Rock. <laughs> you just imagine that conversation going home. Hey, Andrew. Hey, man, you're still, you're still Drew. <laughs> I'm the Rock. <laughs> In fact, why don't you just call me, like, Rocky, you know? You know, start doing dun dun dun, dun you know. The funny thing is, is that no one else, I don't think, would have seen Peter as a rock at that point in his life. I, I mean, I'd love for someone to come to me and say, hey, Mike, you're the man, you're, you're a rock. Well, I don't think anyone else saw Peter that way. You know, if you, if you know the story in the Gospels, Peter is often impulsive, he's impetuous, he's not always dependable. I mean, he's the guy who denied Jesus three times, remember? That's not exactly very rock-like, you know? Uh, more flake-like, but, you know, hey, your name is Simon. From now on, I'm calling you the flake. <laughs> you know, I don't think anyone else would have seen that in Peter. But, you know, Jesus saw it long before anyone else did. And he looked in his mind's eye, and he saw the day when Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when the day the church was born, where Peter would get up in the place where Jesus was just crucified a month before, month and a half before, and he would publicly say, this guy that you killed, he's the guy. And 3,000 people were gonna become followers of Jesus that day. Jesus saw that. He looked ahead and he saw Peter standing before the, the Jewish high court, the Sanhedrin, two months after they had engineered Jesus' death, and saying, listen guys, if you wanna take me out, it's up to you. You can kill me or not kill me, your choice. All I know is that I've got to obey God, not man. That's a rock. Peter was the guy when God wanted to take the message of Jesus to the hated Gentiles. Peter was the guy God chose. He was the guy who came back and explained to all his buddies back in Jerusalem, a little upset with him, taking the message to the Gentiles. He said, listen, God told me to do it. What do you want me to do? He was a rock. You know, in church history, we know that when Peter was killed, he was crucified. When it came time to crucify him, he said, hey, if you want to crucify me, that's up to you. But I have one request. They crucified my Lord right side up. I don't even deserve to be crucified like he was killed. Turn me upside down. If you're going to crucify me, do it upside down. Now, that's a rock, you see. So here's Jesus. Jesus was able to see into Peter's future. He saw things about him that Peter and his buddies couldn't see. He was a vision caster for his life. And every one of us needs vision casters. Did you know this, that the biggest hurdle to you becoming what God wants you to be is often your view of yourself? (laughs) Did you know that? That what keeps you from becoming the man or the woman that God intended you to be is often your view of yourself. I've seen this time and time in people's lives. God wants to do something really special. They don't see themselves as a special person. So they, they, hey, God can transform lives, but not my life. I'm just ordinary. You see? 
the first thing that has to happen is to change our view of ourself oftentimes. And when God wants to do that, guess what? He brings a vision caster into our life who says, you know what, have you ever thought, this is how I see you. I see this gift in you. I see this trait in you. I see this ability in you. Have you ever thought of doing this? And they begin to cast vision and we begin to catch a vision for our life through their vision. You see, it's a beautiful thing. We all need vision casters in our life. One of my favorite stories, there's a, a writer, uh, he's a Catholic writer, Henry Nouwen, he's a priest, and he's uh, gone on now to be with the Lord. But he's an amazing writer, and he tells a story one time, I believe it's a true story, but, uh, you know, I never asked him, but, but uh, I believe it's a true story. But it's a story about a sculptor and a little boy. The sculptor was, a, was an old man and he lived next door to the little boy and they were friends, this, that sometimes happens, you know, the older man, the younger boy. And one day, um, a huge truck packs up to the sculptor's garage and he, he, it's a flatbed truck and he, he, he backs up this huge block of uh, marble on it, square block of marble. Forklift comes and takes it off, the garage door open, goes up into the studio where the sculptor works and he, the, the forklift delivers it in there. It's a huge block, and this little boy sees all this happening, and you know how little boys are interested in trucks and forklifts and all that kind of thing. And so he comes over to see this thing, and of course the sculptor's excited to get started on this, this block. He's been waiting for a long time. So he, he quickly gets out his chisel and his hammer, and he measures it out, and he starts making his first cuts into the marble. And the little boy is really fascinated, but it doesn't last very long. You know little kids are, they get bored quickly. And so he leaves, and the garage door goes down, and it's several weeks before he comes back to visit his friend. When he comes back, he comes in and his eyes just are big as saucers. Because there in front of him, it's no longer this big block of marble, but it's the final stages of this beautiful carved lion. And the sculptor's there making his final little cuts on the, on the marble. And the little boy is so confused. He looks at the sculptor and looks at the lion. Looks sculptor, looks at the lion. And then he says, how did you know there was a lion in that stone? <laughs> Isn't that great? Well, you see, many times we look at our lives, all we see is the block of stone. God sees the lion. And when God wants to carve something in our life, he sends a sculptor our way. He says, you know what? You think you're a block. I see you as a lion. Wow. Wow. You see? And some of you high school students over here, you're young, you're just starting out in life. You know, God has a plan for your life. He's got a vision for your life. He's got a purpose for your life. It's really important right now in these high school years you don't screw it up. Really. You're making choices right now. You're facing things in your life right now that will pay long-term dividends. You make the right choice, you make the, the wrong choice. You know what they are. I didn't have to go into them but you know what they are. And God has a plan. He's got a lion that he's carving in your life. And sometimes you think, oh, I have all these years to make it up again, all these years to fix this. And you know, God is great and we can mess things up and yes, he can fix it. But you never want him to miss what he, he designed you to be in the first place. You know, that goes for all of us. He's got a vision for our life. And when he wants to do that, he often brings models and mentors and vision, visionary people into our life to see what we could become. You see it in the Bible, it wasn't just Peter. 
you know, David and Jonathan, we'll look at a passage later where Jonathan says, you're gonna be king, I'm gonna be number two. I know this is gonna happen. Jonathan was a vision caster for his life. Think of Paul and Barnabas. When Paul, the apostle Paul first became a Christian, he persecuted Christians. He needed Barnabas. No one else wanted to associate with him. Barnabas came along and said, he introduced him, took him back into the inner circle in Jerusalem. He said, this guy's gonna make his mark. The apostle Paul, later in his life, met a young man, a high schooler named Timothy. He saw tremendous potential and he said, this man's gonna make his mark. You see, they're vision casters. We all need those. Number two, the second kind of person that we need in our life is what I call soul sharpeners. Now, this flows out of Proverbs 27, 17, there in your note sheet. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Solomon is writing, and he says, um, you take two iron instruments. You know, it could be plowshares, it could be swords or whatever. He says, you lay them side by side. You go away for a month, you come back. They're, they're, the edge they had at the beginning will be the same edge, or maybe even duller through, you know, decay or whatever. But he said, you take those two iron implements, even though they're made of the same stuff, like two swords, if you know what you're doing, you rub them together the right way, guess what? They sharpen each other. Now here's his point. He says, that's not just true of iron. That's true of people. There are certain people, you rub up against them, you get sharper. Of course, there's certain people, you rub up against, you get duller too, Right? I mean, isn't it true there's some people in your life who make you better just by hanging out with them? And there's some people that make you worse? <laughs> you know, one of the most important things we learn in life is to hang out with the kind of people that make us better. <laughs> and some people just make you better. You hang out with them, you come away, and you, you want to run faster and jump higher. You want to make more of your life. You want to get to know God better. You want to make a difference. You want to leave the past behind and move on? You want to leave the, the things that are slowing you down? You, you just come away. You want to be better just by hanging out with them. There's other people, you come away with them and you're dull. You, you've, they've, they've brought you down, right? And so one of the secrets of life is to find the right kind of people to hang out with. And, and so Solomon said, there are people like this. There's soul sharpeners in our life. I remember... A few years ago, a friend of mine had moved to the East Coast, a good friend, and he and his wife came back for a visit a few months later, and it was so good seeing them, and we decided to go down to the beach for a walk, which, which I used to be able to do, and uh, it's something we did all, all the time. Um, had my devotions at the beach, ate my burritos at the beach, uh, walked with Lynn at the beach. Uh, anyway, so back on track. We went down to the beach with them, and as you know how you do, you get together with couples uh, that, that often you, the four of you talk for a while, and you, you cover the basis. You know, you go like, what's happening with the kids, and what's going this and that, and then, and then we kind of split off, and so, uh, so he and I walked on ahead, and, and it was just so good to get time with them alone, finally, and I said, so what's God doing in your life? What are you learning? And he, he just began to well, here's why he was a guy that had a fair amount of resources in his life, assets uh, financially. He said, you know, God's really been teaching me more about how everything I own belongs to him and, and how I need to manage that well for him for, for eternity, you know. And 
he said, with my business and so on, and he began to share, and two or three other areas, he began to talk to me about the guy was teaching him, and then I said, what's God been teaching you? And I began to share what he's teaching me in some areas. We walked away from that time together, and I thought to myself, that man is a soul sharpener in my life. That, that man, every time I'm with that man, he sharpens me. I'm better. I come away. I've learned. I've grown. I want to be better. I want to pursue Jesus more. You see, we need people like that in our lives. Number three, a third kind of person we need to grow to be like Jesus is heart healers. Now, a heart healer is someone who comes along when we're going through the tough times of life, and, and they help pick us up. They, they help us um, regain our, our vision for life and regain our strength. You know, we're, we all go through this. We all go through hard times where our heart is broken or we're discouraged or we're down or we've lost the vision. We've lost our faith. And heart healers are the people that come into our life and help us get back on track. We talked last week about the importance of lowering the drawbridge in our life to let those kind of people in. And, and this is the kind of person I was talking about, heart healers. They're able to come in, they have a quick get it fast factor, they get it. They get what's going on and they're able to redirect you and help you see what you cannot see any longer. And guys, can I talk to us, just for us for a second, um, women, if you just don't even listen right now, that uh, your hearing might go out if you listen. But um, Guys, this is something that's really important for us because uh, many times as men, we've been taught that we need to do life on our own. And so it's really hard. We, we'll get together, and it's just so easy to talk about, you know, the Dodgers or the Lakers or, or the Chargers or, uh, you know, uh, other local sports teams. And, uh, you know, or we'll talk about our jobs or we'll talk about everything but what's really eating at us, what's really, what we're really dealing with. We might be going through a tough time in our marriage. We, we don't really talk about that. We might be, have not a clue what to do with our teenage son or daughter and, and we don't know how to do that relationship but we don't talk about that. We might be afraid we're about to lose our job and we don't know how to support our family but we, we just, how are things going fine? You know. And the vision of manhood that's in the Bible is this twin vision of men who are tough and tender. Men who are warriors but who, who know how to let the drawbridge down. In fact, we're gonna have a little drama right now. Help us that. Zero out of this. So he just started at the company and uh, he got me this cool new product that he was talking about. So it's uh, 30 year fix, five and a quarter, and I'm already saving 80 grand. Wow. Well, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. So it's pretty good. It is now 7.06, and do you think he's even going to make it? No. Yeah, he's got a minute and a half before his usual lateness. Yeah. All right. All right, I'm here. Look who's here. Hey. Glad you could make it, man. Appreciate it. Especially after we talked about that uh, time commitment last week. <laughs> Listen, I was here on time, but I had to park three blocks from the place. Some jerk took up two spaces by parking sideways. Guy that does the handicap parking thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah I hate that. I almost <laughs> took my key and scratched No! Right in... <laughs> what? Don't tell wait, me wait, that. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Is that yours out there? What, the new 2005 Silver Expedition? Oh. Yeah. 
I thought you said you were gonna wait on that. Uh, I got a good deal. I couldn't refuse. That's yours. I was so close. It's huge. I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry, guys. I'm gonna have to make this short this week. Short. You just got here. Yeah. What's the rush? You know what? Besides the fact, I'm the one that got up early today. <laughs> early. Oh, Mister. I hate the sunrise. Yes. <laughs> early morning riser. Look at you. All right. All right. I mean, who could sleep with the Dodgers game last night? Right? Yeah. Did yeah. you believe huh? that? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That was awesome. Done. That was a clutch hit. By the way, guys, Amazing. don't forget. Tickets to the Lakers. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Your box, right? That's right. Uh, our company's super sweet. Oh, we got nice. Sweet. nice. Oh, very oh, nice. That's awesome. Thing. Thank you. That's great. Well, we all know about my week. New wheels. Uh, anybody else? Bill? Uh, busy week. Uh, I was in uh, Nebraska. Nebraska? How can you be busy in Nebraska? <laughs> right? <laughs> Because I'm qualified. I'm the go-to guy. I'm now in charge of the entire company's network server knows the Infodyne GS35. Really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. What? That's good, right? That's very good. That's right? nice. Infodyne. Any, uh, any big news, Bill? Nope. Any big news, Bill? No. Bill? Nope. News. Okay. There's a plus sign. Uh, a what? Home pregnancy test. We have a plus sign. Yeah. Oh, go. Uh, Nicely uh, done. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. So uh, the football team begins now. Unless you have a girl. You're going to start praying for me for that. Right now. Girl. I said the same thing, and look what happened. Jenny, Erica, and Melissa. Don't worry, Dennis. You'll get that boy. You just got to keep running that play over and over and over. (laughs) Yeah. Have to talk to the coach. (laughs) Tony, how's your week? Uh, it's, it's okay. Yeah? Yeah, nothing much to talk about. Okay. Uh, well, I've been gone all week. Okay, usual. Big ol' eggs with bacon, pancakes, eggs, and sausage. Anything else? No. That's it. It's good. Okay. good. Thank, Thank you. you. She Thank never gets every uh, time. <laughs> all right. Hey, anybody volunteer? You want to <coughs> yeah, lift it? <clears throat> Father, thanks for this group of guys and this chance to get together each week. Thanks for this food and the quick service. Amen. Was that English? Wow. <laughs> wow, that was very, very probably meaningful. The Thank you. Deepest Sorry. thing I've ever experienced. But, but, but I got a plane awesome. to catch. Awesome. Yeah, how'd you know? <laughs> wow. Now, I, I thought you said you were going to cut back on all the travel. Hey, you know, the software had bugs in it. <laughs> bugs. Yeah, and it was our second shipment. I've got to get on a plane and try to salvage this account. Couldn't somebody else handle that? Look, it's my largest account. What does Joyce think about another Look, trip? Look, this is my job. Okay. And she's your <laughs> wife. I know. I know. Look, pal. We really got to cut back on the hours you, uh, you promised. I know. And I will. When? With you guys on my back soon. In the meantime, Joyce is just going to have to understand. <laughs> I mean, we wouldn't be going on the Club Med cruise next month if I wasn't cranking it out every week. Yeah, she complains about my schedule, but you better believe she'll be up on deck, happy, in her copper tone and sunglasses. Don't be so sure. What does that mean? That means don't be so sure. Um, I... um. I came home to an empty house last night. Are you sure she left? 
I mean, left you? Uh, um, yeah. Did, did she leave a note? She's at her sister's. Okay, refill? Coffee? No. I will, yes. Okay. You do look a little bit tired. <laughs> you were up late last night partying, I'm sure. Yeah. Anyone else? No, I'm did she say when she'd be back? No, but the closets are empty. Sorry, man. What about man. Uh, counseling? What about it? Is there anything we can do? Didn't help? No, and I don't know. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I gotta run. I feel awful about this, Tony, about leaving. But if I don't leave now, I'm at the traffic to LAX. Yeah, it's okay. You know, I'll call you from Cincinnati tonight. Okay. I understand. I'm sorry. It's okay. uh, we'll be in touch. I'll yeah. see you guys next be week. Be safe. Okay, boys. Whose turn this week? Mine. I'll take it. I'll take it. Whoa. This is not the same group of guys I've been serving all year, is it? It's <laughs> I'll mine. Take it. I'll take no, it. No, Tony. Okay. It's mine. All right. Have a uh, good week. I'll see you next week. And don't forget my big tip. Never. <laughs> okay, look. What are you doing? I changed my mind. But, but the, the plane. <laughs> Forget the plane. Forget the plane? Forget the plane. But I thought you were the only one that could fix it. No, the you bus. know what? You're right. Some guy in the regional office can handle this. This is more important. You're right. Absolutely right. It is. Whoa, 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 guys. No, you know, I like the ball games and I like the box suites, but it's these weekly meetings that I like the most. Amen. Oh. Amen. Amen. Hey, Millie? Yeah? Bring us another pot of coffee, please. Big one. Heart healers. You know, who are you sharing your heart with? in your life? Do you have people that when life is not going well that you can open up and share with? Uh, we need this. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 23, the Old Testament. <coughs> it's a story of the, one of the greatest friendships in the history of the world. It's a story of David and Jonathan. David and Jonathan were amazing friends for so many reasons. They are a tremendous model of how to do friendship. I mean, they were vision casters for each other. They were soul sharpeners, but they're also heart healers. One of my favorite stories is a story we're about to look at. You know, David kills Goliath. Years go on. He becomes uh, a major leader in the army. Success after success, warrior extraordinaire. And yet King Saul begins to get very jealous of this young, this young man. He sees him as a threat to the throne, and so he begins to pursue him. David spends now the next many years of his life running for his life, hiding out in the Judean wilderness, which is like a wasteland, if you've ever seen it. It's a tough life. He knows the promises of God. He remembers the time when Samuel came and anointed him and said, you'll be the next king of Israel. He remembers when he killed Goliath. He remembers all these tremendous victories, 
And yet he's at a low. He's going through a, a tough time where he's lost the vision for his life. He's discouraged. This man's man, this warrior, is at is kind of an all-time low. And so his friend hears about this, and this is what heart healers do. He doesn't just send him a card or something. He, he goes to him. And I want you to see what happens. I want you to see these two men. I love these guys. I mean, Dave is such a warrior, but Jonathan was too. I mean, there's one time in Jonathan's life where he takes on a whole Philistine garrison with he and his armor bearer. He says, let's go up there, and here's what we'll do. We'll say, hey, um, if you want us, if, we'll say, hey, we're here to meet you guys, and if they say, come on up here, we'll take it as God's sign we're supposed to fight them. <laughs> I'm thinking like, I think I think of a better sign but sure enough, you know, that, that was Jonathan, a man's man. These guys were, I love them. And yet they also knew how to share their hearts. And so in verse uh, 15, chapter 23, while David was, was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learns that Saul had come out to take his life again. It's been going on for years. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horus, and I love this, you might want to underline it, he helped him find strength in God. That's what heart healers do. He said, don't be afraid. My father, Saul, will not lay a hand on you. I know you've been running for your life. I know he's been within one step several times of killing you, but it's not going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. And even my father knows this. Now, how did he know that? How did he know that David would not be killed? Well, I'll tell you, it's very simple. The prophet Samuel, many years before, had anointed David and said, one day you will be king. That has not happened yet. And so it can't be killed until it happens. You see? See the logic of that? Well, that's something heart healers see. Heart healers are not going through our same situation. They can look at the big picture of our life and say, I see what you're facing. I see what you're up against, but don't forget who God is and don't forget who you are and don't forget how he's worked in the past. And they come alongside of us and they restore our vision by giving us strength in God. It's not Pollyanna. It's not just think positively. It's reminding us of reality, who God is, who we are, what he's up to in our life heart healers. There in your note sheet, I love this quote by Paul Tournier. He was a famous Swiss counselor, Christian counselor. He said, it's impossible to overemphasize the immense need we have to be really listened to, to be taken seriously, to be understood. No one can develop freely in this world and find a full life without feeling understood by at least one person. I'll tell you, at a time when you're down, a time when you're beat, a time when you've lost your vision, to be understood by at least one person in your life can make an incredible difference. It's the job of a heart healer. We all need them. Number four. The fourth kind of person that we need are what I'm going to call models and mentors. These are people who are further along on the path of life. They, they have walked with Jesus longer or they know him better. And so we're able to see what our future looks like by looking at them. And one of the things I've found is that when God wants to raise a man or a woman to a new level, often he brings him a model or a mentor. Now, it doesn't have to be a person even in your life that you know really well. It can be a person at a distance. It can be, even be a historical person. 
Some of the most powerful models and mentors in my life are people that are not alive now. They might have lived in the 1700s or the 1800s. And so God brings people that they just, the way they did life was such a model that it raises us to a whole new level. Now, one of the men who understands this really well in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. And if you study his writings, you'll find that many times, it's like 11 or 13 times, something like that, he will make a statement, something to the effect of follow me as I follow, never heard this? Okay, let me give you three choices. <laughs> um, <laughs> He'll say, follow me as I follow Christ is the right answer. Okay, so, now it's really interesting. Why doesn't he just say, follow Christ? Well, because sometimes it's hard to know. Like, well, I never knew Christ. I, I never get to see him, you know, in the flesh. So, so Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. He says, if you want to see how to do life, do life the way I do it. Now, what, is he like an egomaniac? And, you know, you just think that he's just the best thing, you know, in the history of the world. No, what's happening is that Paul understands the principle of modeling. That in order to do life well, we need models. There in your note sheet, there's a couple quotes there. Oliver Goldsmith was an 18th century writer. I love this. People seldom improve when they have no other model but themselves to copy. Isn't that, isn't that true? Think of your life and the people who have influenced you the most and what a difference they made just by being a model. Oswald Chambers, he says, the way we grow in holiness is to be around people more holy than ourselves. And the Apostle Paul got this. In fact, in Philippians chapter four, I'd like you to turn there. It's in the New Testament. Philippians chapter four. We have an example of one of these times where Paul says, follow me like I follow Christ. He uses different words, but that's the concept. He says in verse eight, finally brothers, and he's kind of wrapping up his letter now and he's gonna tell them how to live the Christian life. He says, whatever is true, <coughs> whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure. So he's giving a bunch of like character qualities, so to speak, or concepts. It's very theoretical. If anything is excellent, what is lovely, what is admirable, if anything excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. And then you almost get the sense that he says, you know what? Heck with this. Here's what you need to do. And look what he says next. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or you've seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. He says, you want to grow in your life? He says, look, you know, be admirable. Well, be praiseworthy. Well, Paul, what does that mean? I'm a mother. I have three little kids. What does it mean to be praiseworthy? I can't quite picture that. You know, I work at the Toyota dealership. I'm the service manager. What does it mean to be excellent? You know, Paul says, okay, look, you've, you know me personally. You've hung out with me. You see how I treat people. You see how I do life. Just kind of do life the way I do life. And guess what? The God of peace will be with you. Isn't that great? Like, isn't that what it's all about? We want the God of peace to travel with us? He says, that's what you need to do. The power of models. I had a great conversation a few years ago with a young single mom. She was about 24, had a four-year-old daughter, never been married. 
We were talking about parenting one day. She was saying how hard this was for her to learn this, how to parent her child well, because she said she had a father who was very harsh and distant, strict disciplinarian. She had a mother who was loving and more engaged, but she was very, like, permissive. You know, just let her do whatever. And so now here she is as a mom herself trying, the only Christian in her family, trying to raise a four-year-old. And she's like, how do, you know, I don't know how to do this. My dad wasn't a model. My mom wasn't a model. And then she had this great experience. She went to a Christian camp, a major Christian camp. And while she was there, she happened to meet the director and his wife, and they hit it off. And they, they kind of fell in love with her. And they said, well, why don't you come up and, and live with us for a week sometime and just you know, when the camp's not going. And she said, okay, I'll do that. And so she did that. Well, they, had, they were a young couple. They had four little boys. And she lived with that family for a whole week. And during that family, it was the first time in her life she'd seen a husband, Christian husband and a Christian wife interact and love one another throughout the week. It was the first time she'd ever seen parents who let their kids be kids and let them be boys. They're four young boys. And yet there was control in the family and there was respect in the way they treated each other and the parents. And she, she watched him discipline them and set, set boundaries and have fun and laugh together as a family. And she said, Mike, that was a turning point in my life. I now know what I'm shooting for. Now I know what it looks like to raise kids as a Christian parent. Why? Because for the first time in her life, she had a model. And here's what I'm telling you. For you to grow to be like Jesus, you need models in your life. People you know well or people you know from a distance, you know, it can work both ways. But people... When God, he gets there, it's the way that God shows us, here's what life could be like. Models and mentors. Number five, the fifth kind of person that we all need are tail kickers. Now feel free to write whatever you want. I'm sticking with tail kickers, I'm new here. That's my story, I'm sticking to it. Um, but we all need people in our life that we've given permission, and that's a key, we've given permission to come into our life and to speak to us when they have concerns about us. Proverbs 15, 31 there, you know, Chief. It says, he who listens to life-giving rebuke, that's a great, great description, life-giving rebuke, he will be at home among the wise. He who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever heeds correction gains understanding. I remember years ago, um, as a young man, wanting to know what it took to become a wise person. And I decided to go to the book of Proverbs, because that's the book, you know, it's on wisdom, and so let's see what it says. And you know what really surprised me, is the book of Proverbs says the number one characteristic you need um, to become wise is you have to start being stupid, by being stupid. And, and then you have to listen to correction. And if you are stupid, but you're willing to listen to correction, then you get to be wise. It so surprised me. I always assumed that the Bible would say, well, just wise people are kind of born that way. And I mean, there's a certain truth that you, some, certain people are just born with an extra gift of wisdom or something. But if you read through the book of Proverbs, what you'll see it says over and over is exactly what this verse says. He who listens to life-giving rebuke. Well, when do you get life-giving rebuke? When you've done something stupid, right? What makes it life-giving rebuke? Well, it's given to help you grow. It's also rebuke that you receive. It's, it's being willingness to correct, to, uh, to correct. So it says if you listen to life-giving rebuke, 
you'll be at home among the wise. Well, that means we need people in our life who we've given permission to give us life-giving rebuke. I remember uh, years ago, there was a friend of mine, who became a good friend. It was the first time we had an official lunch together to pursue a friendship. I remember it was at Islands Restaurant. Um, I'm so excited. You know there's an Islands coming to Simi Valley? Did you know that? I, I read it in the Acorn last week. Um, <laughs> Just trying to fit in. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, I, I found out there's some islands coming in. Seeing I'm very excited about that. It's my wife's favorite place to go with her friends. And, and so if my wife's happy, I'm happy. So it's just a great thing all the way around. And uh, Anyway, so, so we sat down in islands together, and I'll never forget, he sat across the table, we'd had lunch, and we'd done our talking, and so on, and he, he looked across the table, he said, Mike, can I ask you a favor? And I said, sure, why don't you go ahead? And he said, here's what I want. He said, I'd like to ask you, if you ever see anything in my life at all, in the way I do my marriage, the way that I raise my kids, and the way I run my business, the way I walk my walk with God, the way I treat people, the way I handle my finances, anything, you ever see an area of my life that you're uncomfortable with? You think I'm making a bad choice. You think I'm doing it the wrong way. He said, I, I want to ask you, would you do me the favor of talking to me about that and challenging me about that? I remember looking back at him and saying, I, I will under one condition. And that condition is that you'll do the same for me. You know, since I've come to Rocky Peak, I've talked to at least three staff members that are, are, have major roles here, major responsibilities, leadership roles. And I've talked to them about areas of my leadership and I've said, you know what? If you ever see anything in my life here as a leader at Rocky Peak that you have any concern about at all, I just want you to know I want to have an open door to come in and talk to me anytime about anything because the last thing I want to do is mess up this church. And, I, and to make sure I don't, I need some people around me that I've given the key to the door of my life. It said, any time, any place, any concern, come on in. I don't want you to have to work up your nerve. I don't want you to have to pray about it for a month. I don't want you to have to take a drink of alcohol to get your courage up. You know? <laughs> I just want you to come on in. Come on in that I need you. I need tail kickers in my life. I don't want to ever be in a spot where I don't have tail kickers in my life. And we need that. We all need that to grow. We need people that you've really given the key to your house emotionally. And you say, okay, come on in. Anytime you have a concern, it's the way we grow. There in your note sheet, Proverbs 27.5 says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. And we, we all need that. And let's talk for a few minutes about what it takes what does it take to create real relationships like this in our life? Well, it takes a couple things. Number one, it takes a change in our perspective. That if we are going to develop these kinds of relationships, we, we have to come to a place where we realize what I'm teaching today, that you will not become like Jesus on your own that we really do need each other. It's not like optional equipment. This is more like wheels on the car. It's not like the GPS system, you see? 
Uh, you know, you go, you go in to buy a car, you can buy it with a GPS, it's not so optional. But the, the wheels, you know, you really need those things, you know? So what I'm saying is that the Christian life, you, you, these are like the wheels. This is like the engine. This is like a fan belt. You know, th- this is like the tailpipe, the muffler. You need this in your life to become like Jesus. And so we have to change our mentality. And many of us grew up with the mentality, it was Jesus and me. You know, so if, if I go to church and get good teaching and do my worship, and if I spend some time in the Word and, and pray, um, if, I, if I give all my money, uh, then, then I'll be good and I'll grow and I'll become like Jesus. Well, if you looked around, there's a lot of people that do those things that are not like Jesus. Well, well, one of the reasons is, is we don't have soul sharpeners in our life and we don't have models and mentors and we don't have vision casters. And so we have to change our paradigm of spiritual growth and realize that God has designed us to grow together in community. And then if we neglect relationship, we just simply won't grow. It's like a plant that you say, okay, I'm, I'll water it, but I won't fertilize it. Well, it's still gonna grow, but it's just not gonna grow the same. The second thing, well, there's a couple quotes here. Proverbs 13, 20 puts it like this. He who, he who uh, walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. So here's my question. Who are you walking with in your life? You know, who are the people you're walking with? Charlie Tremendous Jones, the only difference between who you are today and the person you'll become in five years will be from the books you read and the people you associate with. I don't know if you buy into that all the way. I don't completely, but a lot of truth to that. Now, number two, the second area you need to change is your priorities. If you want to build these kind of relationships into your life, it has to be a priority. They don't happen on their own. They don't happen by default. They happen by design. You have to be intentional. You have to schedule them. You have to make them happen. Life's just too busy for them to happen on their own. I remember years ago, remember I talked about that friend at Islands. Uh, let me tell you more of the story. About three weeks before that, uh, I was preaching a sermon. It was a little short series. It was in 1998, start of 1998. It was called 1998, Are You Ready to Grow? It was 10 questions to ask yourself at the beginning of the year to see if you're ready to grow. And one of the questions was, are you flying with the eagles or are you running with the turkeys? And so it was on this whole principle, this relationship principle. And so a couple days later, I get a call from this guy. Now, I've known him for about 20 years. High character, high integrity, liked him, but didn't really know him as a friend. Knew him from a distance, knew a lot about him. And he calls up and he asks if Lynn and I would like to go out to dinner with him. They'd like to take us to dinner. And so he said, okay, we'll do that. So we went out to dinner and had a great time. And even during that dinner, I liked him even more during the dinner. I just, he's very kind of transparent guy, kind of a vulnerable guy. I just liked him, a sharp guy. And uh, so we went back to their house for dessert afterwards. It's Tuesday night. It's now 10.30 at night. It's about time to go home. You know, it's a, it's a work night, time to get to bed. And, and I don't know why, but I was going through some hard times in my life at the time, very, hard, very difficult time. And, and I remember him looking me in the eye and saying, Mike, What's new in your life? How are you doing? I don't know why. I don't normally do this. My wife could not believe I did this. But I decided to tell him. And I just laid it out there. Going through some really tough times right now. And I just finished sharing. We were there till 2 o'clock in the morning. It was an amazing time of connection. It, it just, you know, like I sensed, he, he was definitely a heart healer kind of guy. He, he was a, a vision caster kind of guy, a soul sharpener kind of guy. 
And so he talked that a couple days later, he was, his business, they, they were opening up a new building and he'd asked me to come be part of a dedication ceremony and so I was there. He pulled me aside ahead of time and he said, hey Mike, uh, he said, you know, the night you were over a couple nights ago, he said, I got up early the next morning to spend time with God. He said, during that time, I don't know how to explain it, but God just put an amazing love in my heart for you. Would you be interested in getting together on a regular basis to pursue a friendship? I totally knew it was of God. I said, absolutely, I would love to do that. And so every Tuesday, we would get together for lunch, a long lunch, couple hour lunch. Now, what you don't know about me is I don't really do lunch. Uh, You know, if it's a meeting, I'll, I'll do lunch, but I don't really, I'm not really, during the day when I'm working, I just kind of work. And so, to take a two-hour lunch meant that I had to stay up later two hours the night before or often get up really early in the morning the day after to get my work done for that day. But here's the point. If you want to have relationships in your life, you have to pay the price. They're not just going to happen. And it's going to happen because of change in priorities. You're going to have to get up early or stay up late. You're going to have to cancel some things in your life that aren't so important. You're going to have to turn off the TV. You're going to have to ditch some friends that are bringing you down to create space for friends who can lift you up. You see, they don't, don't, they don't happen. It's going to take a change in priorities. But wow, how important it is. If we need these kind of people to become like Jesus, what more important is there? And there's a lot of ways to do this, so many ways to do this, but you know, one of the best ways, and that's why I'm such a fan of, of, of these life groups here at Rocky Peak, because if you make a commitment, uh, for 10 weeks, we're going to get together with the same group of people, and, and you do that a couple times, guess what? You suddenly create an environment where you can have, you can meet soul sharpeners, you can develop models and mentors. There's a vision caster for your life. There's a heart healer, maybe even a tail kicker. And maybe, like I said last week, it's not happens all in group. Maybe there's just one or two guys. It's like, you're David or you're Jonathan or your friend, and you, you meet offline some other time, and you take it even to a deeper level. But, but you see, here's my vision for Rocky Peak. I just have no interest in being a, in a part of a church. We just have a lot of people that come on a weekend and then go home and not be changed. You see, see it's, we're not coming here to work out like at a gym. You see, we're, we're part of a family. We're part of a community. We're part of a team. We're part of a body. We need each other. We can't become like Jesus on our own. And so this is a place we come on the weekend services to worship and to learn from God's word. But there's not a lot of modeling and mentoring. There's not a lot of soul sharpening. A lot lot of vision casting. The one-on-one kind that we need. That happens outside of here. See, what we do here is we draw a map and say, here's how we get from here to there. Now you have to go out in the midweek and you have to do it. And you do it with other people, you see. I know a lot of you are already in life groups and that's awesome. But you know, this next fall, we're going to take the summer off. And the next fall, we'll kick off for the first time. We'll, we'll, we'll be, just make some little changes that'll make them a little bit more focused, a little bit more directed. But I want to plant seeds. I want to plant seeds now. You understand that's what I'm doing in this series, don't you? You understand this. This is not the last time you're going to hear this. 
Yeah, you understand? See, see, we are sowing seeds for the next 20 years together. And when I come up here every week and I teach, I'm very intentionally planting seeds that I know I'll harvest in, some of those seeds in 20 years. See, we're just learning together. I know there's many of you here who just come on the weekend. You're, so, you're in a habit of coming here on the weekend, come some weekends, some, some other weekends. You've never been in a group. You don't think you'd ever be in a group. And I understand that. And it's gonna take hearing this three or four times before the light begins to go on and you get your courage up. And I understand that. So all I'm doing is planting seeds right now. I'm scattering seeds across this congregation in your life. And you know what that seed is? That seed is a truth, and it's a very simple truth, and that's this, that you cannot become what God designed you to be on your own. So if you, if you just want to be mediocre all your life, have at it. If you don't want to grow and be like Jesus, do life on your own. If you don't want to change, if you want to be the same when you're 80 as you are when you're 20, then great. Don't do relationship. Hey, but if you want to grow, and you want to be like him, and you want to capture his vision for your life, and you want to experience that vision, and you want to experience the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, and you want to be used in amazing ways, and you want to be part of something great, then you can't do that on your own. You see, that's something we do in relationship. And that's the law of relationship. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this incredible body. You know, I'm just so honored to be here. Lord, I've already come to love these people and we're doing this journey together and God, there's just no time for doing it on our own. We, we can't fly solo. You know, we, we have to go on this journey together. And so God, we pray that you teach us how to do that. Teach us how to be soul sharpeners and heart healers and vision casters and models and mentors. Teach us how to be tail kickers, both to give and to receive, that we could grow to be like you because this, this journey you've called us on, this journey towards spirituality, is, it's not an individual sport, it's a team sport. We thank you for your word that so clearly marks the path. In Jesus' name, amen.